So that's Mark chapter 4, starting at verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in a boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Why have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? They came to the other side of the lake, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you got to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirits. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us into the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region as he was getting into the boats, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. I'm now going to read the second half of our passage, picking up where we left off earlier. So that's Mark 5, 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. 
Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And he had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, but was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garments. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out of him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing that what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some, he said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking. She was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And they told, told them to give her something to eat. I'll lead us in prayer before we uh, listen to God speak to us through his words as Scott preaches. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are speaking, God, and we ask that as your word is explained and applied to us by Scott, we be listening attentively and humbly to what you have to say to us. Please, with this time, not just fill our heads with knowledge, but change our thinking and our behavior. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. It's a long section this evening, and it would be impossible for us to drill into all of the detail in each of these incidents, given the time that we have. But just looking at the section as a whole, what we've read in those verses are seismic events in Mark's gospel that show the power or the divine authority of Jesus. They show the divine authority Jesus has over nature as he stills the storm. 
They show the divine authority Jesus has over demonic forces as he drives the unclean spirit out of the possessed man. They show the divine authority Jesus has over disease and even death itself as the woman who had been sick for 12 years is cured and as Jairus' dead daughter is raised from death to life. Remember that Mark records these verses as eyewitness testimony. These are real events that really happened in real history 2,000 years ago. You might have noticed little details popping up throughout the verses that Adam read out for us that would only ever appear in the accounts if people were there to see it and hear it. For example, Jesus sleeps in the stern of the boat on the cushion. The little girl he raises from the dead is 12 years of age. These are details recorded for us by people who were there at the time. We're dealing with history here. And that is hugely significant because it stops us from allegorizing these events or turning them into fables. So I remember once having a conversation with somebody who asked me, can we take Jesus' messages but not his miracles? I can get behind what he teaches. I just don't know if I can believe that all of these things recorded for us literally happened. But the problem with that is that the eyewitnesses won't let us separate what Jesus taught from what Jesus did. They won't let us believe that some of it was true and some of it was exaggerated or fiction. See, Mark wants us to see that Jesus' miracles authoritatively authenticate his teaching. Which stops me from standing up here and saying that the stilling of the storm teaches us that Jesus will be with us through the raging storms of life. It stops me from standing up here and saying that Jesus raising Jairus' daughter teaches us that Jesus meets us in the really difficult moments in our lives with his care and with his peace. Now these things are wonderfully true about this very same Jesus. But make no mistake, these events are real events that happened in real history for a real reason. Mark has a big, big claim to make about Jesus. At the start, the middle, and the end of his gospel, his claim is that Jesus is the Messiah, the rescuer that his people need, and that he is the Son of God. And here stands the historical account of exactly the sort of divine power and authority that the Messiah, the Son of God, would hold in situations like this. The God that created all things would have divine authority over a storm, even a deadly one. The God that powerfully fights for his people against the devil would have divine authority to drive out demons. The God that declares that death will not be the end, that promises his people an eternity with him, would have divine authority to heal the sick and raise the dead. See, Mark is showing us these incidents 
so that we also conclude that Jesus truly was the Messiah, the Son of God. Those are big historical claims about Jesus. And regardless of how long you've been around Chalmers, I hope that causes us to sit up and listen to what Mark says, to see for ourselves, to chew over what he says for ourselves. These are events that might look disconnected at first, but they're events with much in common and with a clear message. We're looking at events tonight in which a powerful Jesus meets powerless humanity. As you read through those verses, Mark repeatedly records powerlessness on the part of so many around Jesus. The disciples wake Jesus in chapter 4, verse 38. As the storm closes in on them, they say, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Remember that amongst the disciples, there are some pretty seasoned fishermen, and even those disciples are utterly powerless, utterly helpless, utterly terrified in the face of the storm. And see again with the demon-possessed man in chapter 5, verse 3. No one could bind the demon-possessed man anymore, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, he broke the shackles in pieces, no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Those trying to restrain this man are powerless. And the man himself is helplessly lost to the demonic forces that have gripped him and possessed him. Again, chapter 5, verse 26, this sick woman had been suffering many years under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. Long years struggling with a chronic illness, not only the physical exertion, not only completely running out of medical options, but the toll on her finances, leaving her utterly bankrupt. She faces that horrendous sense of hopelessness and defeat. And then, in many ways, uglier than everything we've seen so far, death itself. Chapter 5, verse 35. Whilst Jesus was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Hopeless and helpless words. And in a church family like this, I do not need to explain the anguish. I do not need to explain the anger. And I do not need to explain the powerlessness that comes when someone dies long before they should, let alone the death of a child. Mark's gospel does not shy away from these moments of suffering. See, following Jesus does not mean sugarcoating the world in which we live, putting our fingers in our ears and pretending that everything is okay. Following Jesus means looking at situations in which humanity is powerless, calling them what they are, confronting them head on, and seeing what Jesus' response is. See, following Jesus means looking at situations in which 
humanity is powerless, and having the permission to ask the question that everyone reading these verses is asking. In fact, it's right there in chapter 4, verse 38. Teacher, Jesus, do you not care? Well, in these verses, Jesus resoundingly answers that question. His response is this. Jesus is powerful when his people are powerless. Jesus is powerful when his people are powerless. We've seen earlier on in Mark's gospel, and we heard it again this morning, that Jesus' priority is preaching. It's proclaiming the good news of his kingdom. He speaks of the forgiveness that he brings. And did you notice in these verses that Adam read out for us, Jesus' power and divine authority is seen in and through his words. So look with me at chapter 4, verse 39. Jesus awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. In chapter 5, verse 13, Jesus commands the demons to leave the man and gives them permission to leave. In chapter 5, verse 41, Jesus says to the girl, Talitha kumin, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking. The almighty Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, will stop the storm with a word, drive out demons with a word, and raise a girl from the dead with a word. So let's remember the lessons from chapter 4 we heard this morning. Whilst at times God's kingdom might be accepted by some and rejected by others, and you see that happening in these verses we're looking at this evening, whilst God's kingdom might take time to grow in the life of an individual in a way that we cannot control, whilst God's kingdom might look small and unimpressive at first, never doubt the power of Jesus' words. There is no titanic tussle between Jesus' words and the forces of evil here. In each event, it is a resounding victory for Jesus. And as much as these verses display the power and divine authority that Jesus has, they serve as a powerful invitation to each individual that Jesus comes across to place their faith in him and place their faith in his power even in the midst of their fear and even in the midst of their powerlessness. So listen to his words to his disciples. Chapter 4, verse 40. I appreciate that we're flicking backwards and forwards quite a lot. Bear with me. Listen to Jesus' words to his disciples. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And he says to the sick woman, chapter 5, verse 34, who has just reached out to touch him, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed of your disease. And then again with Jairus, who has just lost his daughter. Chapter 5, verse 36. Do not fear, only believe. 
In the powerlessness face of danger, demons, disease, and death, what response is Jesus looking for? Trust. In moments of fear, helplessness, and powerlessness, says Jesus, have faith in me and have faith in the power of my words. Why? Why should we trust him? Because we are completely helpless in the face of destruction, despair, and death. Why should we trust him? Because we can clearly see his divine power. We can clearly see his divine authority in each of these situations as the Messiah and as the Son of God. And Jesus doesn't wait until the faith of his people is strong enough before acting to rescue his people from danger. Did you notice that? As he goes about his ministry on earth, as he heals the sick, casts out demons, raises the dead, as he speaks and teaches authoritatively, as he demonstrates his power, as he goes to the cross to complete his mission, to rescue his people, he does so whilst the faith of his followers is minimal, frail, confused, or badly bruised by the circumstances around them. Occasionally, unfortunately, you hear suggestions from individuals that the reason why Jesus hasn't worked a miracle in someone's life is because their faith in Jesus wasn't quite strong enough, or they needed to believe more in Jesus, have more trust in Jesus before he goes to work. But these verses from Mark's gospel won't let us believe that. These verses from Mark put a swift end to any suggestion that Jesus didn't do something because his people didn't have enough faith. Look at the disciples in the storm. Look at the demon-possessed man. Look at the sick woman. And look at Jairus. Powerless. Minimal understanding of Jesus' identity. Minimal understanding of his mission. Fragile faith in him throughout this whole section and the rest of the gospel. But the object of their faith, the powerful Jesus in whom they trust, matters so much more than how strong or how weak their faith and trust is in him. And you see that very visibly with the, the sick women. We're not sure quite what she believed. Her faith might have been quite superstitious. But in many ways, she stands as an example for us to follow. Verse 27, she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And then listen to Jesus' kind, compassionate words in response. Verse 34, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. She is full of desperation. She is full of fear. And yet her actions are to turn to the Jesus of whom she has heard reports, trusting that he is powerful, trusting that he can save her from her sickness and suffering, and reaching out in frail faith. And that is, at times, all any believer in Jesus can do. And Chalmers Church Edinburgh, that is enough. 
Jesus is powerful in situations where his people are powerless. And before we, we draw some conclusions, the, the question that could well be tapping us on the shoulder, niggling away at the back of our heads, goes something like this. Well, if Jesus does have power, and if he does have divine authority over these helpless situations, why does he allow them to carry on today? You'll see that on your sheets. Why would the divine authority and power of Jesus allow these things to happen? Maybe you're investigating Christianity, you're sitting here this evening, and actually the suffering in the world and in your own life is a big thing that puts you off finding out more about Jesus. Or maybe you're a Christian sitting here this evening, and the suffering in the world and in your own life is a big thing that puts you off finding out more about Jesus. And there's lots that could be said in response. Remember that the Bible doesn't run away from these questions. The Bible runs towards them. And it can't be that Jesus doesn't care. We've seen very clearly in these verses that he does. His kindness, his compassion for each of these individuals in each of these circumstances and situations is obvious. And it can't be that he isn't powerful enough. We've seen very clearly that he is as we've read through these verses. And so for the answer, we need to zoom back out and look at Mark's gospel as a whole and see where Jesus ends up at the end of his time on earth. See, as he healed the sick, and as he raised the dead, he voluntarily took himself to Jerusalem, where he knew he was going to die on the cross for the sins and for the rebellion of his people. See, the brokenness that we see and experience in the creation around about us The forces of evil in this world, disease, death itself, these are all symptoms of an underlying disease. And that disease is sin. It's the fractured relationship between us and our God because of the rebellion that is in my heart, that is in our hearts, our words, our thoughts, every single day of our lives. Humanity has deliberately rejected God and there is a heavy, heavy price to pay for our actions. It means we encounter, we experience, we live the suffering that we've seen in our verses this evening and much, much more besides. Wonderfully, Jesus has not come to deal primarily with the symptoms of a broken creation, but the disease which is the sin that has broken it. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Rescuer, the Son of God, has not come to offer temporary relief, but to offer a long-term, permanent solution to the problems that we see around about us. I know that there is at least one person here this evening who has been suffering from some pretty severe dental pain over the past few days and maybe weeks. It's not me. I was once told by my dentist that I had great oral hygiene, and I have been riding my luck ever since. My weakness is jelly beans and uh, mawams. But a good dentist in a situation like that will not suggest painkillers. A good dentist in a situation where somebody is experiencing real pain will deal with the underlying issue. A good dentist will not offer temporary relief 
a good dentist will offer a long-term, permanent solution to the problem at hand. And please don't mishear me, Chalmers. I do not say that in a way that belittles, trivializes, or minimizes the powerless suffering that we experience daily. I say this in a way that I hope helps us understand that Jesus' mission was a greater one, a better one. He will say later on in Mark's gospel that he has not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. He has come to forgive sinners. He has come to restore us to our right relationship with God, a permanent solution to the broken, sinful, and fractured world in which we live, rather than a temporary one. He has promised that one day he will return and bring those who are his into an eternity with God, free from sin, free from disease, free from death. And actually, these events that occur in this section of Mark's gospel give me and give us, in the powerless state of the world in which we live, so much hope for that eternity. I don't need to stand here and wonder whether Jesus really will have the final say. The fact that he can silence storms with a word gives me so much confidence, so much assurance, even in my fear, even in my powerlessness, that he will one day return and renew our broken creation forever. The fact that he can cause demons to fear and fly gives me so much confidence, so much assurance, even in my fear, even in my powerlessness, that he will one day return and fully, finally defeat the devil forever. The fact that he can cure the sick and raise the dead gives me so much confidence, so much assurance, even in my fear, even in my powerlessness, that he will one day return and put an end to these things forever. These miracles are windows into the new creation, the renewed creation that Jesus promises he will one day come back to install. They are not yet ours, but in our fear, we have plenty of reason, plenty of reason to trust in him. So here are some conclusions to draw from these verses then. If you're sitting here tonight as a Christian, your faith feels weak and broken, as mine does frequently, as will be the case for all of us frequently. Jesus' invitation is to see his authority, see the power he displays, See his words, listen carefully to what he says, and place your faith in him every single day for every single decision. Moments of fear and felt powerlessness are a normal and everyday part of the Christian experience. That is okay. Do not allow those moments to drive you away from Christ. Do not allow those moments to phase you Instead, in those moments, allow them to drive you back to him. Look at what he has done. Look at his power. Listen to his words. We have so much reason to trust in him. We fear, but the response to the question, teacher, do you not care, is, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? We fear, but the response to the question, why bother Jesus any longer, is do not fear. 
only believe. And I think our temptation in moments of fear is often a reluctance to put our trust in Jesus. And I don't quite know why that's the case. It's probably a mixture of my sinful heart wanting to find another solution to the problem that is not Jesus. Or maybe I've done something like I've taken Jesus, I've taken his majesty, I've taken everything he has done, and I've just shrunk him. And yet, Mark chapter 4 and 5 is a wonderful invitation for us to reread what Jesus has done for us and continue to reread what he has done for us and ask the question, can we trust this Messiah? Can we trust his power? As we believe in Jesus and share him with others, as I ask, have we shrunk him in our heads and in our hearts to something or someone less mighty or less majestic than what he says he is through his word? As we go forward in our desire to take the good news of Jesus to friends and family that don't yet know him, have we thought about reinventing him? Have we thought about tweaking or changing his words? Looking at how powerful he is, looking at how powerful his words are, why would I change any of those things? See, I hope that these verses serve as a reminder of how powerless we are, yes, but how powerful he is and how good it is to trust him, how good it is to trust his power, and how good it is to share the news of what he has done with those that don't yet know him. Chalmers, this week, for the rest of your lives, in your powerlessness, place your trust and your faith in a powerful Jesus. We are safe in his powerful hands, regardless of how strong or weak our faith feels. And nothing can separate us from his eternal, steadfast love. Let me pray for us as we close. Jesus said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Father, help us this evening if we have in our moments of doubt and fear run away from you to remember that the gracious invitation from Jesus tonight is to place our faith and trust in him. Help us to remember that whether we've been a Christian for years. Help us to realize that that is the invitation if we're sitting here tonight and we don't yet know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Father, thank you for Christ's power. Thank you for his compassion and care and kindness for those who are his people. Thank you, Father, that so many of us sit here tonight as recipients of that goodness and the grace and the mercy that you have shown us. Father, help us to remember in our moments of doubt, in our desire to share Jesus with others, not to change the words that he has spoken, for they are powerful, not to change the Jesus that we share, for he is the Messiah, he is the Son of God. Help us, Father, to trust in you, even when our faith feels weak, knowing that you have made promises to us, knowing that your word is powerful. Thank you for the wonderful privilege it is to know that for eternity we will be with you, free from all of these things. Father, please, would that radically change and impact how we live our lives now as we think about our own faith, our own relationship with you, the relationship that we as a church family have with you, and then as we take Jesus out to those that don't yet know you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.